Hello everybody, welcome to the first episode of Ignite the Flame Audio. Basically I'm going to take you through a little tour on uh, what to expect from each episode. What's going to happen is I'm going to give you basically a chapter uh, from one of our published novels, uh, in this case being A Light in the Mist, our first novel, and I'll read it to you and endeavour to entertain you as long as I can. Uh, I provide the voices for each different character, so expect... Um, pretty much mediocre voice acting from myself, but hopefully it um, provides enough laughs to keep you interested. Then we'll go into a section that's known as the origin of ideas, which is where we take certain ideas from the um, prospecting chapter and break it down, basically see what inspired it uh, from the beginning. Then we go into a section that's known as tips of the trade, where any of you who are listening to this, who are aspiring to become authors yourself, basically it's like our tips of the trade. It's basically helping you, you know, get your footing and to get started if, if you are looking to get into that. And it's also a way of finding hints and tips for people who are already authors and are just looking for that little bit extra. Um, that pretty much sums up the episode. So hopefully you enjoy it. And um, I'm Wayne Telford and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to Ignite the Flame Audio, where our hope is to bring people together one word at a time. Follow me, Wayne Telford, into the depths of your imagination. A Light in the Mist Chapter 1 A Dark Awakening Dawn breaks, the light ebbing its way through the tapestry of my dreams, as if awakening one who has lied dormant for many years a sudden arisen from a seemingly endless slumber. I awake unto an enlightened room, so familiar and yet enshrouded in mystery, with its walls of crimson, lights much like that of the palace, each crystal charming its way backward and forward, with diffractions of light playing and dancing across each and every object. Curtains of satin drape across my bedposts as if a veil, waiting to unsheath the morning's light, and bring with it the hope of a new day, one so grand in its master's design. With art on the walls, and marble busts of my great predecessors, how I long to be free of the plague, the plague that haunts my dreams, the plague of not being in control. But what is control? According to science, one is not governed by control. No, one is governed by fate, and it is fate that has seen fit to punish me with these ravenous desires, this thirst for destruction and mayhem. Confused, I do not point blame, I suppose it was my own doing, following one's own path, rather than that which was crafted for him. Alas, it is only a dream, and I will ensure it does not become a reality. For if so, who knows what I am capable of, and I fear my actions will bring a tear even to his watchful eye. But who am I to speak of darkness, of peril, when our soldiers are out there fighting for king, country, and the empire, for the illusion that is freedom? Master Jackal, Will you be requiring breakfast? Ah, my old friend calls to me, reminding me that I am not alone in this endeavour, and that in life a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved in turn. I think I will, Bernard. I think I will. Bernard, always had words of wisdom for me, even when I was lost for words, guiding me on a steady and calmed path, ensuring that even through the darkest of days and largest of storms, that I was never alone. Alongside his most elegant of spreads for breaking the morning's hunger, we were a team forged in stone with only one purpose, to enlighten one another. What is on the agenda? 
Well, sir, whatever you desire. I mean, we are not bound by limitations, are we? Bernard replies, holding close the cross-shaped cufflinks within his garb to his hands, almost wishing for their endless wonder never to end and be free for all mankind to enjoy. But unfortunate as it is, man would have it snatched from the mouths of defenceless children and the poor in order to feed themselves and their accompanying egos. Not by limitations, my friend, but by duty, responsibility, and people. Pardon me, sir, but did you have the dream again? If it makes you feel better, the night shows no atrocities, Bernard informs, knowing me all too well, despite my affinity for locking my feelings under the most secret of guard and hiding the key behind a falsified smile. <laughs> he knew me all too well. Thank you, my friend. This gives me hope enough to go out and maybe select some new wares. After all, this is the land of opportunity, is it not? A land where the streets are paved with gold, where the people speak in posh dialect and ride horses of metal, when the reality is the streets are riddled in waste, the language foul and the metal horses being put into the hands of people who are unaware of their power. Alas, why be so glum? One man can change the world, it seems, so why don't we give it a try? Is that not so, Bernard? I inquire, knowing my words become more distasteful every day to know what has become of this race once at the right hand. And now? Well. well, sir, I believe that anything is possible. All you need is the faith to believe it. How right you are, Bernard. There is enough darkness in this clouded city without me adding to it. Why, even the crows are happy this morning. So what right have I to be dismal? I turn away from Bernard and open my folds of scarlet to reveal a foggish glow which soon clears, taking with it the smell of the estate's festivities, from fine wines to dinner to... I don't want to know, only to show a once-covered road carved by the vehicles that navigate them. I brush past my work desk of mahogany and glass with ornate peelings, adorning each of the drawers with borders of silver and floral coverings. How one's furniture has a life of its own, holding memories within its very fabric, whose purpose it is to protect, despite having drawers that are empty. Upon it, tools for my profession, the best money can buy, they say, but half of them are only there for polishing and keeping Bernard busy. But wait, something catches my eye, a glimmering tool I don't remember possessing before, a strange compass-looking object with no dials, no directions, no compass. But alas, it resembles perfectly. How strange to think that something can appear as such on the outside, but be completely different on the inside. Perhaps this compass resembles me. Only time will tell. What the dickens was that, Bernard? Some sort of attack for malicious chimney sweeps or marauding paper boys? Neither, sir, Bernard explains. It appears to be the post with an unusually large letter. Hmm, intriguing. Probably the bill for this grand house, left to me by my father. What does it say? I inquired. I think you should be the one to read this, sir. It holds the seal of the king himself. What is it? An execution? What are the charges? Destroying property? Frightening locals? Causing riots? Well, speak up, Bernard. No, sir. I fear it is much graver news. His Majesty has sent a request for your personal attendance, as a murder has occurred in his very palace, sir. With a worried expression, Bernard raised his hand to his mouth and struggled to comprehend the truth. Eventually it gripped me. I was all too aware of treachery. After all, the royal family has always been known for extinguishing one another to secure the throne for themselves. 
but this is a task that will need to be thoroughly investigated, for the very fabric of London, Britain, and maybe even history itself could depend upon my decision. Condemning a prince or princess to hang by the neck until dead? Could I have that responsibility to kill our future monarch? No. It is not my burden to bear alone. I will need assistance on this case, so that if my back be turned, I would not leave within a casket. Whosoever committed this heinous act must be of great importance. One does not just murder in the Queen's royal household, for fear they would lose more than their dignity. No. Whoever the perpetrator was, they were skilled, and must be treated with exceptional care. Will you be requiring transport, sir? Perhaps the newer cart? That won't be necessary, Bernard. I think I'll enjoy the walk. Or run, in my case, knowing full well the children will try to steal whatever I have upon me. Poor. How I long for children to be free and with a family. What a world to bring them into. Corruption, war, strangeness in society. But parenthood is all about sacrifice, not self. Bah, who am I to judge, unless I wear the wig or hold the gavel? But a run will do my heart good, especially in the soot-covered streets of merry old London. It's enough to make your face disappear. No wonder Jack got away so easily. But he wouldn't have, if I had been after him then. I think he would long for the smog, because there he could have hidden. While out here, all that would await him would be the noose. Still, I must continue. I opened the door, rickety old thing, and clambered down the stairs, each one with its own sound like an out-of-tune piano, its spiralling cortex like that of a wire bent to its maker's every whim, historic art hanging on the walls. Tapestries telling tales of success and victory, and arches crafted into the foundations, leading almost secret doorways through the walls, if such a thing was possible. Although there are many secrets within this house, trapped within its walls, carpets, curtains, and the like, I guess nothing about my parents' disappearance at a young age, despite my relentless investigating with my microscope and lab equipment. Nonetheless, this house was not the case I was being summoned for, and I must retain my focus despite the distractions which lie in what I thought to be my safest of places. I reach for my overcoat and top hat to appear as a gentleman, though we are the last of a dying breed in this world. It appears the warmth of a woman's attention comes not from humble gestures, but for a secure future, and quite rightly so. However, they still continue to astonish me, with people of all shapes, sizes, backgrounds, and riches being ensnared by this web of love and interest. But I digress. One should consider the happiness of others above oneself, and not speak as such it will never come upon them. With top hat fashioned, I adjust its position, when all of a sudden... Yes? Hello? Yes, he is here. Shall I bring his attention for you? Yes, very well, sir. McLean, M. C. K. Yes, indeed. I will inform him immediately. Very well, sir. Take care. Godspeed. Who is that, Bernard? Some man of sales, perhaps? I inquired. No, sir. That was Scotland Yard. A Sergeant McLean. He was asking for your immediate presence at the scene of the murder. He answered. Not yet. McLean will have to wait. I must fetch a few things in town and pick up an asset on the way. Master Flint, sir. You know me too well, old boy. As I reach for the door, a strange thing begins. Flashing images of the night previous. Could this be the darkness again? I ignore it for now, but it would be best getting it seen to. But then I don't handle psychiatrics well. The last one, I drove insane. My mind unaware of these visions. Are they from an ally or enemy? A friend or stranger? Only time will tell. Oh well, best be off, I exclaimed. 
Yes, sir. Do send news when you reach the royal household, won't you? Yes, Bernard. I will get Her Majesty the Queen to personally sign it for you, and perhaps some photographs to accompany it. Obviously, I was implying humour. If I was caught making images of the royal household, I would probably lose some weight right above the shoulders for the amusement of the crowd. Although pictures or not, my next plan of action to find my accomplice, James Flint, and then meet with Sergeant McCline and find out what is going on in the royal household, or should I call it the bloody household. Full of horrors beyond my comprehension, a symbol of power for the entire empire to witness. Perhaps that was the reason for this provocation, but does this enemy come from outside, or has it been birthed within these walls? I would need a keener mind than mine. However, I pushed forward, not knowing what opportunity lies right around the corner, into the street, down its blackened walls and pavements like paths, carved in the purest oil and the sun glistening off windows, bringing beads of sweat to my brow. Although it could just be the act of dodging flying debris from every house lest you be covered in who knows what. People walking past, broken conversations from across the street. As the missus. And going to hospital for my foot. Each one insignificant, but important to men such as myself. In this profession, it's the little pieces that make the difference. Hello, Governor. Can you spare a minute or two? A young boy, please. Why, certainly, young man. Bearing in mind, it's probably a trap that will cost me my belongings. Whatever is the matter. Sir, could you spare a coin or two? My mother is poor, you see, and I can see you're a man of class, and from what I hear, ever so generous. Please, sir, could you help? Please. As I look upon such a trusting life, I am reminded of my humble beginnings, earning each and every penny forthwith, and acquiring each item with extreme levels of labour and diligence. Yet it was an earned life, and not one which caused discomfort. We were not always rich in stature or class. That we were blessed with. No. Before, we were humble, but never poor. My heart goes out to those who live in a world with opportunity, and yet only for the lucky and the upper class. Perhaps there will come a day when I can call this fellow a friend, and he and me. Only time would tell. Certainly, my dear chap. I hear the school is opened on the street's corner. That must excite you. The prospect of becoming a gentleman. The boy's face falling as though a star from the sky, plunging into the depths of concern and anguish, not having the strength to return a smile. Alas, good sir, we're so poor. I fear that school is not an option for the likes of me. Nonsense, my boy. Knowledge is without price, and so should be its practice. Who ever heard of a cost for increasing one's intellect? I mean, the entire notion is deemed absurd. And with a slight hint of a smile, the boy's hopes are raised, and he adorns me with a watch, strange yet somehow familiar. This was given to me by my father, and it would honour him if you would accept it. Please say that you will. Of course, my dear boy. And you'd better be getting home. The day's light grows short, or is that just me? The cloud draws ever closer, sir, from all the factories, makes it dark before it's night. Indeed. Well, run along, and be safe. Give my regards to your mother, won't you? And ask her to keep faith that she will get better. Meanwhile, keep yourself from harm, all right? Promise me. And as I rise from a crouched position, the young boy runs, stating, I promise, sir. God bless you. His words fading into the distance, as if already etched into history and time immortal. Speaking of which... Master Flint was my next call, and he would prove difficult to locate. The Constitution would have him patrolling all manner of areas during the day, and even the graveyard at night on one occasion. No, I would try the city zoological grounds, 
That were usually his place of interest. As the clock strikes the hour, I hasten to find my elusive partner, driving ever closer to the task at hand and beginning this case. Almost slipped my mind, what with that young man's life being uplifted by a few sovereigns. Such a small thing that could lead to a world of difference. If only. I walk toward the zoo's grounds with a quickness in my step and hear a slight plea. A cry for help and curiosity immediately persuades me to rush to the call. No sooner have I arrived than I see a group of young men brawling in the street, such as in the Kingdom of Animals, or House of Commons for that matter. Excuse me, gentlemen. I say, cease with this violence at once. Hmm. Very well. They ignored reason. A swift clip of their wings and they soon retreated, leaving a curled-up mess of a being lying in their wake. Son, are you all right? Can you hear me? And as I lean to check his vital signs of life, it becomes apparent that only minor damage was induced. A few scratches and bruises, nothing that would not heal. Hello, sir. We seem to be meeting frequently, don't we? My dear boy, what did we just discuss? I'm sorry, sir. As soon as coin is seen, the others consider it fair game. Just desperate, I suppose. Desperation is no reason to attack your fellow man, young sir. What is more to rob him of his belongings like vultures? It's a hard life, sir. One of theft, upheaval and betrayal. You can't trust anyone these days. Well, all except you, that is. Come, come, lad. On your feet. Let us get you home, shall we? Sir, look, it's Master Flint. Master Flint? Yeah, the lion tamer and hero of London. Can we see him? He tells the most interesting of tales. All right. But as soon as we have finished with Master Flint's riveting tales, let us get you cleaned up and in the safety of your home, shall we? Yes, sir. As if achieving two goals with one aim, we locate Master Flint, pacing, as he always did, on the outer rims of the zoological grounds, with watch in hand and whistle in mouth, singing joyfully to himself words which no man could understand. He would look upon the beasts, almost as if to tell their thoughts, and yet which one was freer? He that was in a cage made of physical bars, or he governed by rules and bars in which he could not see? Yet we rushed to meet him, tales and all alike, with the welfare of this young man and the fate of the British Empire hanging in the balance. Old Flint. No matter what the beast he would come up against, despite almost losing his appendages, he found it an increase in stimuli. How incredible that fear can stimulate an emotion in order to help conquer it. I guess for every negative emotion there must be a positive to counteract it. We all have our views on bad and good, whether it's fate, chance, luck, or some religious implication. I suppose life must contain both in order for balance to be found. Mind you, in accordance with scientific study, the answer to the age-old question, why are we here, would remain a mystery, filled with idea after idea, bringing us no closer to the answer, as neither can agree on the outcome, and even if they do, some other opposes it. Even science is filled with dispute. Whoever thought that seeking the truth could spark such contest, with those trying to find it, and others trying to hide and diminish it? Ever so strange, that with the open sky as our limit, even the greatest of minds remain closed, if they are not ready for the truth, and those that are, are mocked and ridiculed. But I prefer to think otherwise, that we were designed for a purpose. I mean, everything is perfect. The night sky, temperature, air to breathe, and life. The heavens as beautiful as they are. All accidental? <laughs> bah. A likely story. Although, thinking too much again, Jekyll. I must get to Flint before he questions his mortality, or never mind. Where is he, young man? Can you take me to him? I ask. Most certainly, sir. 
for help in return. With a devious smile upon his pale white face, an accompanying grin forming within his facial contours. Of course, my dear boy, anything. Just take me to Flint, please. Slightly with a more abrupt nature and dominant tone of voice, almost choking on the please. The price of manners these days. It's enough to make your stomach twist. After all, why be treated as a doormat when others show you no such courtesy? Bernard always speaks of forgiveness that each kind act you perform will come back to you doubled, maybe even tripled. Is that not enough to be kind for? Oh well. Take me to him, boy, and I will see about helping you with your matter, all right? Follow me, sir. This way, this way. Hurry, sir. Hurry. We run through the streets and alleys. I pursue his outlying shadow like a cat to a mouse, trusting fully in his instincts, so as not to lead me into a dull end, and I come off worse and none short of a mugging. But so far, so good all except this darn awful stench resembling that of the zoological grounds. Ah, we were close. I can hear the painful moans of the caged creatures howling through the thick, twisted bars and trapping them. A wild beast on the inside, and caging it for people's amusement. And they say barbarianism has perished. I beg to differ. A cry of a lion comes with the shouts and screams of a middle-aged man, and there he is. Flint. James Flint. A middle-class gentleman with skin of ivory, hair of tanned wool and a stature to rival a horse. Dressed in a dark outfit, with gleaming badge and truncheon in hand, black and polished boots, glistening in the sun, and buttons fastened on his apparel more tightly than his body would permit, not due to his weight, but his build. He paces the cages, almost listening to each trying to talk, sympathize, obtain conversation. But alas, human beings are those who can speak to the point of conversation, and one would consider their voices to sound as prisoners, slaves, or servants, allowed to live, but not in freedom, no, in captivity and injustice. Although prisoners have reason to be bound, whereas these do not, this is what James sees, I believe, the potential in all. He has this daft idea of training them as police enforcement and replacing guards and guard dogs, so man can achieve more pressing matters. But the whole notion is ludicrous, Enabling a beast to work for the police force? Absolutely ludicrous. By grace, what on earth do you think you're doing, sir? I pronounced, from amidst the crowd, as he places his hand on the lion's head with no fear, and watch on, as a crowd of young children gather to be ensnared and amazed at his awe-inspiring actions, with even more dangerous decisions. Huh, just doing my duty, sir. As about you come from the fog of those streets and people's stench, and near, with real men who tame lions and tigers to prove their worth and man's place within the hierarchy, he exclaims, boasting in stature like a peacock during mating season. You always did play with fire, old friend. Jekyll? Hey guys, and welcome to the Origin of Ideas section of this podcast. Uh, it's one of two sections which are going to be a little less formal than the actual chapter reading, so expect me to waffle on and babble and whatnot. But basically getting straight into it, this section covers all the ideas that are mentioned in the previous chapter and basically how they came to be. So like a, a background tour, if you will, uh, sort of like a director's cut edition to a film, something like that. So getting straight off, it's based on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's almost like a prequel uh, to that story. I was reading uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde at the time, uh, 
you know, recently before I started writing A Light in the Mist. Uh, so it served as much of an inspiration. And obviously, while we were reading that, a lot of things came to light, a lot of questions which A Light in the Mist endeavours to answer. The second point is you'll notice that Jekyll reflects our opinion. So in a lot of works, you'll see the protagonist actually reflects the opinion of the writer uh, in a lot of ways. So obviously Jekyll reflects our opinion, our philosophical nature, our beliefs, etc. So you'll see that there are times in the chapter when he'll just go off on a rant or he'll go off on like a pondering session. And it's it's it reflects us, you know, because I, I often do this. I often like I'll see an article in the news or, or, you know, something like that. And I'll just go off on a tangent in myself and I'll just start like querying it. I'll just start questioning it. Um, asking, you know, other people about what their opinions are and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, you, you see that reflected in Jekyll. So it's, it's very much that Jekyll reflects us in a lot of ways. Um, which obviously you'll, you'll, you'll notice if, if you're actually writing a work yourself, you'll notice that a lot of you actually comes out. Uh, is expressed through your protagonist or various characters. The third is we put a description um, to the past and we use it as like a historical backdrop to reflect the present day. So a good example of this is when he wakes up and we have a description of basically what he sees when he looks out the window. Obviously, he he mentions, uh, you know, the, the streets are paved with gold and, you know... Um, they're thriving in technology and then he reveals the reality he says you know the reality is the language is foul uh they're riding around in metal cars that they don't understand fully their power and all this kind of stuff so it's it's very much sort of weighing up the pros and cons of that day but it also reflects modern times you know um a good modern example quite recently is the series chernobyl anyone who's sort of uh watched that on sky atlantic or however you've uh watched it Basically, they endeavoured to do the same. They use this historical backdrop to reflect today's modern political climate. So obviously Chernobyl was intended on reflecting America's political climate and, you know, how withholding information from the people can be dangerous in, in a lot of ways. And now, you know, how truthful that is, I don't really know the backdrop of Chernobyl very well, but I think the actual series itself um, brought that along really, really well. And it's sort of the same thing that we do through our novels. We try and have a historical backdrop which raises awareness to a certain thing of the time, but normally it's to reflect something that's going on in our present day, you know. So it's either an issue that needs addressing or it's something that we've done well that we need to keep doing or that we need to improve on, you know, something like that. The fourth point is the fact that it's a murder mystery. Now, when I was writing A Light in the Mist, I was really sort of getting into murder mystery as a genre. You know, I was getting into Agatha Christie's Poirot. I was getting into Murdoch Mysteries, uh, Murder on the Homefront, you know, loads of different murder shows. And then obviously, like, as that's progressed, it sort of expanded into more modern series like Lie to Me, The Mentalist, Bones, all these different sort of modern forensic series. And our knowledge of forensics has obviously developed through those books. And you'll see that as, you know, these stories progress. But in A Light in the Mist, it's still very sort of uh, exploratory for the time being. But forensics is definitely one of those genres that, you know, I'm, I'm interested in because I, I, I love everything to do with the macabre. I love sort of like investigatory sciences. You know, it's, it's partly the reason why I became a paleontologist. You know, it's, it's like being a time traveling detective. You, you, 
you know, arrive at a scene, uh, you find a bunch of fossils and you see what they can tell you about the environment or how they lived, what they fed on, et cetera, et cetera. So it sort of like plays off of that in a lot of ways. And then the final point is there's a line in there in the chapter that mentions, but I digress. And he's, Jekyll says it in such a way, or we make sure then that we say it in such a way that it reflects uh, a little Easter egg um, because at the time that I was writing A Light in the Mist, I was also gaming quite a bit. And one of the games that I liked, you know, just goofing off on was Black Ops Zombies. In there, uh, anyone will know that when you have the opening part before you actually get to the zombies, uh, a character called Richtofen, uh, he's a German scientist, he's one of the characters you can play, uh, he turns around and he says, but I digress in such a way um, and it really stuck with me. So obviously, as I was writing uh, A Light in the Mist, writing the first chapter, it sort of popped in my head. So I was like, oh, I'll just I'll just pop that in. And then when I read it, I'll just make sure I, I mention it like that. Because including Easter eggs in our books, we, we do it quite a bit. Um, it just helps to sort of tell, obviously, you as the reader and you as the listener that you know, what we're, what we're up to, basically, what we're listening to, what we're playing, all this kind of stuff. It sort of gives you like almost an insight into my life as I'm going through writing, uh, the actual book. It, it gives you sort of an insight into what we were watching, what we were listening to, what we were gaming. And you'll find a lot of these Easter eggs throughout the book. So you'll see music lyrics, you'll see Easter eggs to certain games, you'll see bands mentioned, you'll see all sorts of things. Basically, whatever we feel like promoting at that time, that particular time, we'll just incorporate it in um, into the actual manuscript. Well, that pretty much sums up this section. So we'll go on and get straight into the uh, helpful hints and tips section. Hey, guys, and welcome to the tips of the trade section of this podcast. Basically, it's going to be a rundown of me giving tips to any aspiring authors who are hoping to pretty much follow the same authorial path. Uh, and we'll be taking you from basically the first step, which is this episode, all the way to basically becoming professional uh, publishing uh, through a publisher uh, and then everything in between, basically. So let's get it started. Uh, basically, this episode is going to be the fundamentals. So basically, designing an idea and discovering what kind of writer you want to be. So obviously, writing uh, can be a hobby. It can be a profession. So what you want to do is, before you actually get started, you want to ask yourself why you're actually looking to get into it in the first place. You know, is it a hobby or is it a profession? And if it is a hobby, it's it's obviously something you just want to do for fun. You know, you just want to write a book. It's on your bucket list or, or whatever then obviously, you know, your writing can reflect that. You know, it doesn't have to be any sort of professional level. But obviously, anyone who's hoping to get into the professional side of things, uh, I just want to quote Hemingway here, who mentioned, we are all students in a craft of which there is no master. So anyone who's professional, there's no such thing as master. There's no such thing as the ultimate standard, right? You know, even the people like, you know, uh, J.K. Rowling, Stephen King, etc., they're still learning, even if they won't admit it. Um, you know, anyone who tells you otherwise is lying, basically. Um, yeah, so basically what you want to do is you want to ask yourself, you know, am I just going to write, a, you know, is it a one-off or is it something that I want to pursue as a career? Is it something I want to make a living off of? Or is it something that I just want to, you know, I want to do one series and then stop? 
These are the sorts of questions you want to ask yourself before actually getting into the writing journey. Once you've determined that, uh, a lot of the time you'll hear uh, other authors turn around and say, write what you know. Well, to that, I say, write what you know, research what you don't. Because in a lot of our books, we don't know half the stuff that we write about. Honestly, I, I don't know anything about the Victorian era or anything like that when we when we started writing The Light in the Mist. So I did my research, you know, and that can that can range from horrible histories, which I, I use all the time, because um, actually it's really good. Like surprisingly, it's a very good research um, vessel to use uh, to, to inspire information uh, in said novels, all the way up to using uh, Google Scholar. Google Scholar is a fantastic resource. I highly recommend it. Um, it's just, it's full of articles from you know, uh, journals to, to master's degree students to doctors, professors, all the people get on there and they're constantly publishing articles about literally every subject you can think of. And there's just loads of like researched data, which is peer reviewed. It's really, really high end stuff. So, you know, you can pretty much use anything in between, like even down to Wikipedia. You know, a lot of people turn around and say that Wikipedia isn't a credible research source. But actually, a lot of the information in our books comes from it. So I, I hold my hand up and I say, you know, it is a good source. So anything you're hoping to, you know, research or anything like that, basically use whatever source you think is credible at the end of the day. Then you ask yourself, why do you want to get into it? Um, so with this sort of, it's more like reality versus expectation. So I'm just going to tell you straight off the bat, um, if you are getting into the writing journey and you're hoping to make millions of pounds off of it, the reality is you probably won't. You know, the reality is um, it, it doesn't meet up to your expectation, basically. Uh, you know, it's a very long journey. It's, it's like it's the same with any sort of creative pathway, you know, to make a living off of it, to make money off of it. You ask anyone who's in the podcasting uh, world you ask anyone who's in art or any sort of sculpture type media or, or any any sort of creative even the music music industry you ask anybody who is in any form of creative outlet they will all tell you that they didn't become millionaires overnight basically you know it is a very very time consuming um way of life it's a very uh ask worthy thing you know it, it demands more of you than you will actually receive back a lot of the time but when you actually do get there, obviously it is so rewarding. And obviously if you go into it with the intention of not expecting like unreal expectations, if you go into it thinking, you know what, I'm just looking to publish a book or I'm just looking to self-publish or I'm just looking to get my name out there, you're less likely to be disappointed is what I will say from that. Now, that's all the backdrop before you actually get started. But now we're actually going to focus on getting you started on the writing journey. So the first thing I want to basically go over is what kind of writer are you going to be? So what is your genre? Now, a good way to do this, uh, which I, I discovered um, on YouTube, there was a, a, a great um, video that basically, you know, showed you, oh, what kind of writer do you want to be? It asked you the question and it, you know, put across this really good way of doing it. So what I want you to do, uh, if you, if it, you know, if it's available, if you're in your room or whatever, or, you know, front room, wherever you have access to basically an expression of yourself. So look at your shelves and basically, you know, look at your games, look at your DVDs, look at your books. And basically what genre jumps out at you? You know, what do you most like? Are you eclectic? Do you like a bit of everything? 
Or are you a, a gore and horror fan? Are you an action fan? Do you like rom-coms? All these sorts of things. Have a look at those things. And then that sort of gives you sort of an idea of what type of genre you'd actually like. Because normally what you actually like writing is where you'll find that passion. You know, and when you start writing a novel in a genre that you particularly like, you know what you want. So it will help you in that writing process. And when you actually get down to your favorite genre, I'm not saying you'll write the perfect of that genre, but it will give you a good foundation of which you can start on. And then obviously you can research, as we mentioned before, you can research what you don't know. You can ask people for their opinions, their insight, what they know about those genres, etc., etc. even up to the point where you can actually communicate with authors that are of that genre and they can give you helpful hints and tips. Again, I can't recommend it enough. You know, YouTube is full of videos uh, with loads of authors, really top-end authors, giving, like, helpful hints and tips to how they discovered themselves, how they discovered their genre, how they discovered their, their trade, so to speak. So, you know, there's loads of stuff on there that you can obviously get involved in, you know, or you can just keep it to yourself, whatever you choose to do. So that pretty much sums it up for this episode. Obviously, as we go f further, we will be, you know, addressing more along the lines of the actual writing process. But for now, it's more for the fact that you just, you know, get into the mindset of becoming a writer, because it's not something you can just, you know, just walk into. It's something you have to think about before you actually get into it. And hopefully this episode has helped you come to terms with that and hopefully encourage you to carry on from here. So this is the end of this section. Thanks for being a part of it. And that about wraps it up, guys. Um, thank you, obviously, for being a part of this. Uh, you know, thank you for making me part of your life, basically. I mean, it means a lot to us. You know, it really does. Because, you know, I know how busy people are. Um, and, you know, making this, you know, it, it really means a lot. Uh, for you guys to just take time out of your, you know, otherwise important lives, you know, to, to just make us a part of it. Thank you. Thank you very much. It really does actually, you know, humble us the, the fact that, you know, you're, you're willing to listen to this, uh, show. And I hope that it's, it served you well. I hope that it, you know, has, has come across in the right way. I hope that it's, uh, entertained you or inspired you or, or something like that. I hope that, you know, um, it's it's come across in, in the right way. Obviously, I'll endeavour to uh, put all the links uh, in the description below for everything that's been mentioned. Uh, so like the YouTube videos mentioned in the um, helpful hints and tips section, uh, that will obviously be included. I'll include uh, a link to uh, my friend's podcast, uh, Mike, Genuine Chit Chat, anyone who's interested in going over to his podcast. It's really good. Um, that basically, it's like a conversational podcast. Uh, he has loads of people on there, really, really interesting people. We've been on there a few times, not to say that I'm interesting, but you get my drift. Basically, he has conversations literally ranging in all sorts of um, discussion, you know, all sorts of topic. You know, literally, there's no topic off limits. So if you just love uh, listening to people having engaging conversations, really sort of inspirational talks, um, quite a few of them, then, you know, head over there and, you know, just show your appreciation because i know i know mike is a is a great guy he's he's a really selfless dude and you know basically he, he'd love anyone who who discovers his podcast and has a great time doing it so yeah be sure to head over there i'll i'll include the link um in the description below so thanks again guys uh thanks again for making us part of your, your day um and i hope you enjoy 
basically the rest of it. Until you until next time. Cheers.